0: All right, we're back uh, this week with Josh Ortman from Buffalo. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. I'm excited to uh, get the text to be a part of it, and it'll be fun. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I mean, most of the coaches are guys that you know, I've bumped into here or there. I've talked to maybe only a couple of times, but you know, we go back. For We graduated high school the same year. Our teams were in the same section growing up and obviously playing against each other in the, in the Mississippi 8 the last handful of years, uh, excluding this year. We've gotten to know each other pretty well, so I'm excited to have you. Uh, First thing we always ask is your coaching Wikipedia page, so tell us where you played uh, and then what your coaching journey has been to get to Buffalo High School.
1: Yeah, so I'm from Buffalo, played at Buffalo High School, graduated in 2007, then uh, after 2007 went on to uh, St. Cloud State and played four years there and then uh, really didn't have too many intentions on coming back to Buffalo. I was just going to kind of see where teaching jobs took myself and uh, and sure enough, it worked out that Buffalo had a Fayette opening and they offered me a job. And I started out as a ninth grade coach there, then was a 10th grade coach shortly after. And then when Coach Guida decided to go that administration route, I uh, ended up getting uh, the head coach here at Buffalo. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was and how I got to where I am. How did playing in the NSIC help you uh, transition into coaching? You know, I... Uh, I was taking some notes as I was getting ready for this, and and I think that was one of the, the best things that has got me to where I am as a coach because when I was in high school, I kind of had had the green light, was able to shoot and kind of score whenever I wanted to, and the offense that we ran was really built around a perimeter-type style uh, game where I, I had a lot of freedom within what we did. And then I'll never forget um, – so my two, two biggest – impacts role models if you want to call them were coach Guido, my high school coach and then coach schlegel my college coach i remember sitting down in my postseason meeting after my freshman year with coach schlegel and he had said to me that uh you know you need to start realizing that everybody at this level was an all-state caliber player and like everyone at this level can shoot and score and if you're gonna make it here you've got to find a way to defend and you got to be a better defender And so I went from having a role in high school where really, really did a lot of scoring and whatnot to college. I think I averaged about seven points a game, but I went out and guarded every team's best wing player every single night and chased them around all game long. And so I was able to kind of see the best of both worlds where when you start talking role identification, uh, the value in, in being a part of what you bring to a team being at St. Cloud state was probably the best thing for me for my coaching piece because um, it's easy to love basketball and play basketball when you get to score 20 points a game. But then you got to find that that deeper love and passion when you you gotta take a back seat on the offensive side and learn how to chase people on the defensive side and understand you're just as valuable to a team as the guy out there scoring 20, 25 points a game. And so I think that's helped me a lot with how I approach coaching, how I approach our players, and and, and work to get buy-in from everybody, top to bottom. No matter if you're the best player on our team or the worst player on our team.
0: So you talked about Coach Lego, obviously, uh, and you had Coach Reimer, who was your assistant coach at the time, who's the, who's the uh, head coach at St. Cloud State now. So what did you learn from those guys, Coach Schlegel, uh, Coach Reimer, uh, from your time playing at St. Cloud State that you've been able to use uh, as you, as you transition into coaching high school at Buffalo?
1: You know, I think the biggest thing is just the attention to detail. Like, Like, it, it sounds cliche and it sounds... like a no-brainer, but success doesn't happen on accident. Like, you don't just wake up one morning and become really good at something, right? And and when you play under Coach Schlegel and Coach Reimer, there's an expectation that this is what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, then somebody else gets a chance. And and there isn't always a second chance, a third chance, or a fourth chance. So if you lose out on your opportunity when given that opportunity, then you don't know when that next opportunity is going to come. And both Coach Lego and Coach Reimer did such a good job of bringing competition every single day, day in and day out at practice. And and, and I think it's kind of ironic. You You watch The Last Dance, which is pretty popular on social media right now. And you hear them talk about their stories and 90% of the stories they're talking about are what happened in practice. It's not what happened in this game or that game. It's what happened in practice. And I think if you were to talk to myself or a lot of my college teammates, 90% of our stories would be remember that time in practice. And um, and when you can – create a practice environment that's that meaningful and that competitive and that engaging, I think you're naturally going to start to develop some really good basketball players in a really good program. And uh, that's what coach Schlegel and coach Reimer did.
0: You mentioned Nick Gaida, earlier, your high school coach, someone that I had the uh, pleasure to be able to play against when I was at Brainerd You were at Buffalo, uh, we played against you guys. I want to say my freshman, sophomore, junior year, we didn't play against you uh, your senior year and you guys won the state championship, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, a year that we really were, had you guys circled on the, we were the, we were the five seed. I remember going to Elk River. I'm not going to say we overlooked the four seed, but we really were jacked up for the chance to play you guys in the semifinals. And then we got bagged by Elk River by like 25. But you mentioned coach, coach Guida, who someone that I also then have been able to was able to coach against for a couple of years before you took over. And I think that um, he probably would have a really good argument that he, when he was coaching, was one of the top probably five coaches in the state of Minnesota. I've just so impressed with, um, being able to coach against him, see his attention to detail, and how great of a coach he was, and what are some things that you learned from Coach Guida while playing for him, but also while you were the uh, ninth grade and sophomore coach uh, coaching under him?
1: Yeah, so I got the best of both worlds with Coach Guida. From a, from a player standpoint, um, there was just never a day off. The one thing I talk about with Coach Guida is is uh, they they say a good coach is able to make practices harder than what a game's going to be. Uh, games were a walk in the park for us compared to what we went through in practice and and, and that's not an exaggeration and he did such a good job of of pinpointing where were we struggling as a team and what do we got to do to fix it and 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 there and I don't think there was anyone better that I've been around that was better at breaking down film than coach Guida was and then seeking out the problem and then finding a solution to it and, and we would work hours upon hours uh especially on the defensive end as far as the way we rotate the way we close out the, the way we take our first steps and, and, and it paid off in the long run and, and then you you talk about a, a guy that if you were to watch him coach people probably said that uh oh, he's so loud and he's so vocal and he's maybe brash at times um i think if you were to talk to any of his players every single one of them would say, well, who's your favorite teacher? Who's your favorite coach? And, and they'd say Coach Gaida because he knew how much he loved and cared for us, and there wasn't anyone better at building relationships with kids than Coach Gaida was. And I think that was one of the biggest things I learned at coaching under him was once you have that relationship built, you can you can get on and you can coach players hard, and when you can coach your best players as hard as you coach anybody else, then, then you're going to start making it somewhere. And that's what Coach Guida did. He always got the most out of his teams, whether it was a state championship level team or whether it was a 10-win team. No matter what the talent level was, I don't ever remember looking back and saying, wow, he didn't get the most out of that team. And I think he got there, one, because of the relationships he built, but then, two, because of how, how difficult he made practices uh, and made it so much easier for his players come game time.
0: It's funny you mentioned how loud he'd be during games. I remember my first year; like, we won nine games, and we weren't very good. Uh, we had a couple decent players, but we were we weren't very good. We played you guys at uh, Saint Cloud State, and it was uh, it was like a random like because I think it was like a there's an election or a caucus night or something. So it was like a Monday night game at Saint Cloud State, and there was no one there. And Jack Sinkle, who was our shooter, who averaged like 25 points a game. He makes he'd make five or six threes again. I think he had like eight threes against you guys. And I remember that second half it was like a single digit game and he just lit into the guys. And I was like, so proud. I was like, yes, we got guided to blow up on his team because of this. And it was like, it was such an honor for us. Cause he is such a good coach. And you knew, if you get if he blew up, it's because he cared about his guys and it's because he wanted to win that game. And it was, it was important to him. But I do want to talk about, um, a little bit about with the film stuff that coach Guido would do. Cause we're lucky today we have huddle and we have everything broken down where you're talking, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, where, coaches didn't have that it might have been a cd-rom or a dvd so what would what did that film session look like playing for him
1: yeah i i vividly remember i was a ta for him my senior year of high school teacher assistant and i'd be sitting in the coach's office and and he'd literally be on a vhs player and then he'd burn it onto a disc And then we'd watch it on a projector, and it's the typical remote, fast-forward, rewind, fast-forward, rewind. And every single game, he'd spend about four hours minimum just breaking down the statistical pieces and then just – what we were doing as a team and and if you ever get a sit in a film session with coach guy to take advantage of it because he's second to none when it comes to the detail especially on the defensive end with with what it should look like and what good teams need to get to by the end of the season in order for uh you to put yourself in a spot to be successful and, and so yeah it's a lot different than it is now there was no huddle there was no huddle assist or anything like that and uh and he spent hours upon hours in front of that screen uh, making sure he was doing his part and putting us in a position to be successful.
0: So the interaction on Twitter before this when I threw out the, the question today is a lot of people want to hear about the state tournament run. So maybe this isn't relevant to anyone uh, in learning how to coach, but I think it'd be cool to hear your uh, story because, you know, so much with Class 4A, it's been dominated the last, you know, handful of years with the Hopkinses of the world, the Apple Valleys. But you were a team who, you know, obviously Buffalo now in the late conference, at the time, was kind of a an outstate big school uh, when you guys won the state championship in 2007. So, just talk about that high school state tournament run, some of the memories that you remember from that, and things that you learned uh, over that run. Yeah, it, it, we're we're in a unique spot. I feel like Buffalo's in a
1: spot where, when when they're they're counting who's a metro school and who's a not, not a metro school. If they want to count us a metro school, they'll count us one. But then when they want to count us as an out-state school, they'll count us as an out-state school. So we're, we're kind of right on the border there. But um, yeah, that that uh, that state championship run, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, and, and anyone who's been around Buffalo basketball obviously knows it was a special time for our community and, and what we did. And I think it brought us together to where to this day, darn near, However many years later, you come to a Buffalo basketball game on a Tuesday night in the middle of February, and it's going to be a full gym because of what Coach Guida was able to establish back then. But um, I, I think the, the coolest thing we did, and, and we try to continue it to this day, is uh, we, we do what's called a 50,000-shot summer program and it's turned into a 25,000 shot made made program to where you focus on on the shots that you make but but I'll never forget from 6th grade on for myself I had myself and a couple of my high school teammates at the time who were my my best friends where where we track every one of our shots and and we'd call each other at night and I'd say well how many shots are you at and he was like well 650 well then I was going to make sure I was at 651 just just to make sure we got on top I I, I beat him in it and um we were able to create an environment where all of a sudden we had eight, nine guys doing that in in a summer within a two grade span. And now all of a sudden we were able to fill the floor with a bunch of kids that could shoot the ball who had put in that time and investment. Because if you're going to go out, let's say you shoot six, 700 shots, that's going to take you a good, probably two hours to do it. Um, the, kids just don't do that. Like like they want to go play five on five. They don't want to go spend time on their craft, working on their game. And we were able to put ourselves in a spot where we had a lot of kids who put a lot of sweat equity into it. And we got hot at the right time and we played really good basketball at the right time. And I think our final record that year was 28 and three. And, um, and, and we were able to play at a really high level and, and, People talk about what we were, we were able to do offensively, but I think what gets overlooked is what we got done on the defensive end where you talk about five guys playing as one. On the defensive end, we had five guys playing on one string at all times that not only wanted to win for themselves, but you, you invest so much time and effort into it to where I don't want to let Carl Olson down. I don't want to let Darren Omshide down because I know how much time they put into it, and, and I'm not going to be that guy who, who ruins it for our team. And so we had a pretty special bond, pretty special thing going. Uh, the cards fell our way, and,
0: uh, and it was fun to see it play out the way that it did. You got injured in your state tournament run. Talk about how that whole situation. I remember, I remember the scene after I'm watching on TV when you guys won your semifinal game and you were hurt, and you and Guida were embracing, and it was really powerful. So, talk about that, that situation, getting to that point, but then dealing with the injury that you faced and how you're able to deal with that adversity.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking. I, I, I truly, to this day, Don't know if there's ever been anyone who's put more time into high school basketball as a player than I did. Like it was every morning, every night, I was out in my cul-de-sac shooting baskets because I wanted to play at such a high level. And then that happened and and I was devastated, but yet so proud because like you had so many of my teammates that, that weren't going to let, one thing that happened in the game ruined what was best for our team, and so that part was cool. But um, I'll, I'll never forget we were staying at the hotel down in Minneapolis, and I forget what hotel it was. And one of our assistant coaches, Jason Sorensen, came in and and he said, "So you're going to be ready to go tomorrow?" And I said, "Sora, I can't even walk. There, there's not a chance." And uh, and he had just said he had just said to me, "You'll never get this opportunity back. Find a way." And and, and sure enough, like it just you get some adrenaline going and you find a way and I didn't do much more than run three-point line to three-point line that state championship game but it was still pretty cool to be out on the court.
0: Yeah. You guys had quite the game against Armstrong too. There's that, there's that clip. I know it was actually going around, I think a year or so ago going, people were talking, I think uh, coach Miller was talking, was got that going on Twitter. um, When you guys hit like seven threes back and forth and Orion James got in on it. Just talk about that game. Obviously, Olmstead had the the buzzer beater drive to finish it, to win it. So just the state championship game, obviously huge crowd, uh, having a tight game. Talk about that experience.
1: Well, we were all pissed that Coach Miller called a timeout. He, he ruined one of the best moments in high school basketball. We just kept trading threes back and forth, and, and he ruined the run. But, uh, no, I'm just giving Coach Miller a hard time. It, it was it, – it's, it's hard to even explain. It was two extremely good high school basketball teams that played the game the right way. And, and all those kids we played on – played against on Armstrong, we played all through AAU the last few years leading up to it, so everybody kind of knew who everyone was – And uh, we were fortunate to be one basket better than them on that day. And um, it was, you you look at the crowd, I think up until recent years, it was one of the biggest crowds in Minnesota State High School history where it was just all purple and red. And uh, it it was a pretty uh, speechless type environment. And um, I think in both probably Plymouth and Buffalo, there weren't too many things going on other than watching that state tournament. And uh, uh, it, it was pretty cool.
0: Like I said, it, 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 for a, for a good way, right? There's a lot of good four A teams. There's a lot. There's a lot of Division One talent in our state, and there was our year. There's a ton of great players in Class Four A uh, that you know Cole Aldrich and Blake Hoffarber, but just to name a couple. Uh, but it was just cool to see two teams that you know don't traditionally make it, and that's really what high school basketball is all about. You know, you guys have made a few state tournaments since Armstrong has made the state tournament since, but I believe. But just two teams that you know. That's what high school basketball. It's not about necessarily having the same two teams year in and year out meeting for the 4A state championship, which is good, right? When there's good talent in the court, that's, that's great. And that's fun to watch too, but there's just something a little bit more when there's two teams that have a really special group and the communities can get behind. Cause I remember when we were at the state tournament a couple of years ago and I'm not knocking and it might've been spring break. I'm not going to knock the 4A programs that we went to watch, but, you know, we had the biggest crowd as a 3A team in the state semifinals than any of the 4A teams that we watched later in the evening. And I just think that when you get those communities that maybe haven't went, you know, we hadn't won for 87 years. I don't know what your guys, is, you guys are at when you guys hadn't made the state tournament. Um, but just that those, te- those communities that haven't been there for so long, and it's really powerful to have those people experience that. And it's really the, it gets to the heart of what high school basketball is all about.
1: Yeah. And and you're spot on it and it pulls the community together. And, um, and I think when you look at the formats of everything, you can talk about different teams that had different players, but at the end of the day, come playoff time, you, you got to win games and you might have the best player in the state of Minnesota, but you still got to win games to get there. And you saw you guys won the games you needed to get there. And we've won the ones we've needed to get there just like Armstrong did. And, uh,
0: it's pretty special when you see two communities come together like they did that year. All right. So I'm going to bring in a, a, a pop culture reference here. Have you, are you a One Tree Hill? Have you ever watched One Tree Hill before? Not a big One Tree Hill person. No. So, okay. I got into it when I was in college. And so I need to just listen through this. So generally speaking, right, the two kids, brothers, you know, estranged brothers end up playing basketball together. And the one goes on to play in the NBA. The other one, they win a state championship in their hometown. And then four years later, he comes back, and he's coaching in his high school. And I, I always think to myself, I don't tell my assistants this because I don't want them to run out the door and not coach for me anymore. I always chuckle because I think of the scene in One Tree Hill whenever we would go to Buffalo. His first day of practice, he's like, if you need my credentials, and he points up to the banner. It's really corny, like CWTV. But I always laugh to myself because I think of you in that same situation when you took over at buff- Buffalo. So talk about coaching in your hometown and just kind of the natural um, uh, cred that you have by, like, being a state champion and having the banner up every single day in practice?
1: Well, I've never pointed to the banner. I'll tell you that much. Um, you got to, but, but, um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I think that, I think we've gotten to a point where a lot of the kids that are coming through our program now had no idea who I was as a player, which, which makes it pretty cool. The the parents and the older crowd kind of remembers that time, but hopefully our coaching staff has created a relationship and environment where where they look at us more from the coaching piece than they do the player the player piece and I'm fortunate on my coaching staff right now two of uh, our assistant coaches were my high school assistant coaches and and so we've had some really good stability but um, you've played at Buffalo you've been there you've seen it it's a really prideful place when it comes to boys basketball And, and I think that's one of the things that makes it most special for me is is are there other opportunities in different places? Yeah, there are, but the grass isn't always greener somewhere else. And when, when you're in a place where you have an administration in a, in a community that respects you for who you are, what you stand for, and what you do, that's beyond the game of basketball, it makes coming to work every single day pretty darn fun. And then uh, And then just being back in Buffalo – my, my wife is from Andover, and she's got to be a part of – it's a small town, but we're, we're still kind of a pretty big, big area with a big school. But er, everywhere you walk, it's, hey, Coach, hey, Coach Ortman, how, how you doing? And, and to be able to see so many familiar faces is pretty special to me. And, uh, and I'm getting to a point now, it, it's making you and I sound old, but um, you're, we're starting to get kids in our youth program that were high school classmates of mine. And, uh, and so that, that part's pretty cool. And I don't know, it's a special place. I'm lucky to be where I am and um, got a lot of support from the community, one as a player, but hopefully
0: two now as a coach and what we've been able to do with the types of teams we've put on the floor the past few years. I always love going to your school because when we, when we were in the same conference with you guys, you know, there's some really good, there's good athletic programs, good basketball programs. Then all of a sudden you have the You have the Buffalo and the St. Michael and the Rogers games and all three of you guys are in our conference like, oh, this is just a completely different environment the huge, you know, campus like feel and it's just no matter. But when you walk in there, you have that trophy case. And I always pay my couple minute respect there to look over the, the clipboard and they got the net and the pictures and the articles from your state championship run. So it's pretty cool. But you guys are a big school, like you mentioned. I'm sure you're graduating, what, over 500 kids or so? Yeah, j- j- right at high 400s, yep. And so you guys got a little bit too good for us in the Lake Con – or in the, in the Mississippi 8. You didn't want to play us in the North Branches and the Cambridges anymore. And you're like, ah, we got to go on to bigger and better things. No. Uh, but you guys did transition to the Lake Conference. You know, I didn't really shed too many tears except for the fact of you know, not being able to see you and Joe – uh and uh kyle or derek sorry um kyle i've said big lake uh stepped down or move but see you see you three guys but you know what when i le- when you guys left i told everyone well how was it with those guys leave it's like great i was one in 17 in six years against those three teams and the only win was we beat rogers by two their last year so i was happy to see you guys leave from a competitive standpoint but talk about the the transitioning to the lake conference obviously playing eden prairie hopkins wyzetta edina different than North Branch and Princeton and Big Lake and Monticello. So just talk about that transition, uh, switching conferences.
1: Yeah, you know, it's been a whirlwind. I'll be completely honest with you. And it's been a lot of fun. Fortunately, all the coaches in the Lake Conference have been absolutely fantastic and super welcoming and very supportive of us and St. Michael and everything we do and what we stand for. And um, it's it's been great, and they've treated us really well. It's been a gauntlet, though, I'll be very honest with you. Um, people always say, well, we played, why is that a one time or we played Hopkins one time and we played Eden Prairie another time? Well, there, there's a difference between sprinkling in teams like that on your schedule to every Tuesday and Friday night. That's who you have in any Tuesday and Friday night when you're in the grind of a conference schedule where you you have a three minute lapse at any time in a game and you just went from a close game to it's a 30 point blowout and 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 it's not an exaggeration it is an absolute gauntlet but it also it raises a level of expectation It raises a standard within your program and we've always wanted to be considered a top-tier basketball program in the state of minnesota at the 4a level and and if you're going to be a top-tier program then you got to not only play the best teams but you got to learn how to beat the best teams and i was really really proud of our group we uh went through some adversity with losing a couple players that we initially thought we were going to have going into this season and there was a lot of unknown and a lot of people who I think it kind of put us off the calendar because of of the two kids that we had lost and and looking at the way we persevered and how resilient we were our kids came together and it was fantastic and one thing that we talk about all the time is our mindset and our mentality and as a coaching staff we didn't give our kids excuses and we didn't give any of any of us coaches excuses there's no feeling sorry for ourselves we're going to prepare and we're going to be different and practice different and we're going to find a way to win where maybe we're not as Individually talented as some of the teams we're going to play, but collectively as a unit, what do we got to do and what do we got to look like to be successful against these teams and give ourselves a chance to win on a nightly basis? And, and the preparation that our kids put forth was fantastic. And um, yeah, it, it 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 was great at times. It sucked at times. But overall, I mean, you can't ask for a better competition night in and night out. And I think come postseason, I really believe we were better
0: because of it. The people listening to this, this isn't just Josh either, just like saying this because he knows people are going to listen. This is exactly how he is as a coach, which is why I have so much respect for what Josh has done and how he coaches his team. Just, we'll text a couple times a month throughout the season. It's the same thing. We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We're going to play who we play. We're going to get better. And it's just what I think empowers your team to be so successful uh, since you've taken over, continue the success that was there. From when you t- when you took over now we i talked in a previous podcast for our program at princeton we you know when i took over i saw ourselves playing in a you know a more northern section so i knew where we could have an advantage was by playing fast because you know year in and year out we're probably going to have and Onaki any of the teams in our section we have a lot of kids that are able to play at a high level with our conference or through aau that maybe some of the northern schools aren't able to have so we thought we're going to play fast because that's going to give us a competitive advantage in our section what are some of those like money ball or type hidden advantages or things that you found um, from when you were at the Mississippi eight, but now transition to the late conference that gives you a little bit of an advantage um, or at least helps you close the gap with some of those more talented teams.
1: Yeah. So, so the, the this is going to sound a little weird, but in, I really want our kids to be successful in the late conference. I want us to do well, but one thing we do every year as a, as a coaching staff, we evaluate what's our section going to look like and what do we got to do to be successful come March within our section. And then if a conference championship and conference wins and all that come along the way with it, great. But we want to play for section finals and we want to give ourselves a chance to play in the state tournament year in and year out. And um, one of the things that we found for us is, is quite frankly, we're just kind of different than, than other schools in the lake. Like this isn't a knock on anybody, but like if you play fourth grade traveling basketball at Buffalo, you're probably going to play varsity basketball at Buffalo um, by the time you make it through. And a lot of the teams on our schedule, that isn't necessarily the, the way because it's just how basketball's evolved down in down in the cities. And, um, and, and so one of the things that we've had to try and do, what do we got to do if individually we're not maybe as talented position by position, but gives our team the best chance to win. And um, we, we, we truly believe in motion offense and we believe in a pack line defense. And our goal is to force teams to shoot as many contested jump shots against us as they can. And if you hit 15 threes against us and beat us, you, we pat you on the back and we move on. And I think back to our last year in the Mississippi eight, Cambridge was 20 of 41 from three on us and, and part of it was because we played bad defense the other part of it was because they shot the ball really well and the next night we were able to come back and we beat Maple Grove on the road and and, and so it, that's kind of our defensive philosophy and, um, and then our offensive philosophy uh, a lot of teams that have kind of geared towards um, geared towards dribble drive offense and geared towards pick and roll offense continuity and, and whatnot and And this is the coach guide inside of me. We, we run five out motion offense and we'll find post-up opportunities within our five out motion offense, but we want to force as many teams to um, guard us through different off ball screening actions because throughout the, throughout the course of a game, kids guarding screens away from the ball will eventually make mistakes. And if we have our guys taught and understanding how to make their, their reads coming off each screen, eventually we're going to make you pay. And, um, and and we we believe was if we can get at least two ball reversals we think we can get a layup a free throw or a wide open three at some point within those two to three ball reverse reversals in a possession and, and so our offense is a little different we don't necessarily set a ton of ball screens we don't necessarily focus on dribble drive opportunities we focus on getting our teammates open finding flare screens finding slip cuts finding uh curl cuts in second cutters and uh not everyone's used to guarding that every day in practice, which I think helps us as the year goes on, as we get better at running our motion offense and teams aren't used to guarding those, that many screens within a possession, uh, I think that gives us a better chance offensively to score rather than try and take our guy one-on-one and go, go dribble drive against guys that are maybe more superior athletes
0: than us. One thing I liked in your offense that you guys did a really good job of was the 29-foot dribble up three that you guys made at a high rate the last three years. <laughs> Talk about how you – no, I'm kidding. You also said Matt Willard, who was a phenomenal scorer and probably one of the best – if not the best score, peer scorer in the state of Minnesota this past year, uh, who was always a treat to coach against because he's one where you just – he hits a Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway as a freshman. You're like, oh, well, I mean, we can't guard that. Good for him. So I really love the 29-foot dribble up three. That was a good shot, and I'm sure you – every time that shot went up, I'm sure you were thrilled. Yeah,
1: that's where you start talking about role identification and equal opportunity. <laughs> some kids get a longer leash with some of that stuff than others. And and Matt Matts uh, was we were fortunate the last four years to get to have Matt within our program, and he's a prolific scorer. And um, but but one of the unique things about Matt is that you see some of the shots that he takes he spends a half hour every day after practice genuinely working on those types of shots. And so when you see it in a game, it's like, well, I've seen it every single day in practice. You've seen him make it every single day in practice. It's just starts to become part of what we do. And, um, and we were fortunate to have guys like Antonio Blewett, Brandon Motz, Tony Dahl um, are around him that were able to help put Matt in good situations. But then when teams would really start to try and take Matt away, then, then they, they got to, feed off of that and they got some pretty easy scoring opportunities
0: themselves but no seriousness let's dive into the obviously i know you're not teaching the 29 foot pull up like you said the kids working on it and he's hitting it at a 30 40 percent rate let him fire away what are some of your main teaching points in your motion Yeah. So, so we obviously like any offense, it doesn't matter
1: if you're running a continuity offense or a motion offense, we teach spacing, right? Every good offense needs to have good spacing, but, but then we always talk about every action we have needs to have someone fill in a balance point needs to have somebody at the rim. So like if I pass the ball and I screen away, if the guy curl, curl cuts it at the rim, I got to fill back to a balance point. If I slip it, he's got to fill to a balance point. And so a lot of it depends on on where the defense is playing and how they're playing us. Selfishly, we like it when, when teams really get up into us away from the basketball and try and get physical with us, because then away from the ball, I can manipulate the type of cut that I'm going to make, where I'm going to make a cut that I want to make, and, and I can kind of dictate what's going to happen. Whereas if a team's Maybe sagging off more and not being as physical on the perimeter. Not now that that takes a couple of our reads out of out of what we're maybe trying to do, and and so we always fill fill balance points, fill the rim, and and then the sp- spacings crucial, obviously. But but the main thing that we try and do is when you got a head hunt, you got to be vocal with where you're going, and then it, it starts to become nonverbal communication, you can see where the defense is at. I know my teammate's going to slip, so I'm going to fill. Or I know he's trailing him, so he's going to curl, so I need to fill back. They're switching. I'm going to slip. He's going to fill. And it just really becomes routine with what we do. And it's something that we start at the third grade level. And we have a whole scope and sequence through where we give all of our traveling coaches um a, a k-12 blueprint every year where this is what we expect you to teach at this level and motion offense looks really really ugly a lot of times and, and a lot of times at the varsity level it looks ugly but then when kids really start to learn how to read a defense um the 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 sky's the limit with what you're capable of doing and uh and, and it's benefit it's worked out well for us in the long term from where coach Guy has started
0: it and then i've kind of taken over with some of it You use the term balance point. Can you clarify that just for anyone writing notes down?
1: Yeah. So, so balance points are, are, we have five balance points within our motion offense, the two baseline spots, the two wing spots, and then the top of the key spot. And each balance point is within 12 to 15 feet of one pass to another. And, um, and any action you make, you need to fill the next closest balance point to where the ball came from. So you're not leaving someone hanging on the opposite side. And, and, um, and that's just kind of the, the terms and phrases we use. And uh, we really preach slips, curls, and flares hard within what we do.
0: So you uh, mentioned you always want someone curling to the rim, then also someone filling a balance point. How do you um, navigate the waters or balance that off when, you kid, when a guy does have a driving lane and not having someone curl right into, right into a drive?
1: Yep. And, and th- that, that's where it can get really mucky sometimes. And that's where it, it takes time where you got to get used to who you're playing with and, and what each player on your team does well with, because obviously you have guys with different strengths and different abilities. And um, we always say, when you're away from the ball, you just chill and read what's happening. And so if a guy has it on the left wing and he's attacking baseline for example, everyone's going to slide and shift one balance points where we'll have a crack back on one side, and then we'll slide to open balance points to flow on the other side. And so it really turns into understanding where the basketball is and and where the next passing angle is going to come from. And so we'll work our crackbacks, we'll work our pitchbacks, and then we'll obviously work on any type of drive action where we want our cutter to come from and where we want to slide to the next balance point away from the basketball.
0: So let's go one, two, three, down the different ways teams can guard your screens. What do you do against Switch. Without uh, t- sharing all of your details, if you got some secret stuff, I don't want Coach yeah. netler or Coach Tesdall, sniping any of these if they're listening.
1: No, no it, 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 there's no secret to what we do. It's, it's, it's just trying to take advantage of what teams doing. When teams are switching, we, we try and slip as often as we can. Um, in order to be a good slipping team, you darn well better be a good passing team. And if you're not a good passing team, you're going to struggle to take advantage of those slip-cut opportunities. When teams are being physical and fighting through, Um, if if they're chasing we really look to curl and fill and and if they're not chasing we'll get straight cuts out of it and then we'll look to slip from there Um, like you've seen we we also do incorporate a really small portion of of some dribble drive with teams that really really want to get high deny and and get pressure out into the full court uh, with some of our spread type options that we have where we'll put some shooters in the corner and then let three of our more aggressive ball handlers like to attack the basket. But, um, yeah, if teams are switching, we're really going to start to slip hard in different facets and try and take advantage of that. And if teams are fighting through,
0: then that's when our curls and flares really become uh, kind of true to what we do. How do you rep uh, your, your motion stuff in practice, me keeping it competitive and also keeping it like you, like you talked about with Coach Guido, what you learned from him, um, making practices tougher than games. So how do you put those pieces together?
1: Yeah. So we're kind of different. I know there's a lot of people who, who teach, teach through five on five, do a ton of five on five and teach situations from there. We break it down. We do some sort of two on one cutters. We call it every single day. We're basically, we have a guy that's, that's guarding the guy coming off the screen and then they're playing one-on-one out of it. So if he's, Trailing me i'm gonna curl it and i'm gonna play one-on-one out of it if he shoots the gap on it i might flare it and then we're gonna play one-on-one out of it so we do it we literally do two-on-one cutters every single day of practice we do some sort of curl cut and flare cut shooting drills every single day of practice and um and like i said before we start that in third grade and we try and work it all the way up to where when they get to high school it becomes pretty natural and pretty fluid Uh, to what they're doing. And and it's not nothing new. And so we do a ton of two on one, a ton of two on two and a ton of three on three. And then hopefully that translates into our five on five uh, sequences throughout practice.
0: I'm. I'm gonna uh, take a hot take here, hot position here. I think anyone who's not having their youth coaches run five out is making a grave mistake with player development in their program. I know we do the same thing. We're having our guys run five out at the youth level. I think if you start running any sort of continuity, or you start you know, saying you're a post, you're we're gonna run four out motion around you, and now that kid peaks he's 5'10 in sixth grade but now he's 5'11 as a sophomore that kid has no chance to be successful as a basketball player and I love that you guys run the five out the youth level I I want you to go talk a little bit more or some of the layers that you're looking to run at third grade versus sixth grade versus eighth grade yeah
1: so 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 with our within our blueprint that we have that each traveling coach gets uh when you're really third and fourth grade we're looking just to pass cut and fill I mean, pass, cut, fill, pass, cut, and fill. And I think back to our game against Moorhead for our our section semifinal game, Cripes, we saw how much they were taking advantage of trying to jump passing lanes on the perimeter. That's how elementary our offense was in the section semifinal game this year against Moorhead. All we did was pass and cut, and we had a lot of success doing it. Um, And then as they get to fifth grade, we talk about screening away, curl, fill. Uh, We introduce that at fifth grade. Hopefully by the time they're fifth grade, they're at a sufficient level of passing and cutting. Then by the time they get to sixth grade, they're at a sufficient level of curl fills to where now we'll start to incorporate slip cuts. And then by the time they get through eighth grade, hopefully every kid that comes, that's been through our traveling program, that by the time they get to a ninth grade level, they can pass and cut, they can curl fill, they can slip and fill, and then they can straight cut and slip. And then, if you have that foundation of those three, four things, now we can start to get creative with how we manipulate that within our offense come the varsity level by the time those kids make it to the varsity team.
0: That's good stuff. And I think anyone listening, I'd rewind the last minute of what Josh said. That's just what I feel like personally, I feel very strongly. That's what every youth level should look like. Because, again, I think if you're letting your teams run flex, or you're letting your teams run ball screen continuity where only two guys are setting ball screens, and you're just really putting kids in a box that they shouldn't be in at the youth level. So I think that's great that you're doing that. It's, it's, it's worked for you guys. You guys have had sustained success at Buffalo since, I mean, since when you, I don't, I don't know much about Buffalo's history pre 2004, 2005, when we were playing you guys on a regular basis, but there's just been sustained success. And if there was a down year, there's a good year coming the next year behind it. So I think that's a lot of that foundation can be attributed to what you guys run at the youth level. And I think that's awesome. I do want to get more into practices. We teased it a little bit when we talked about your motion stuff. But generally speaking, um, maybe breaking outside of just your motion breakdowns, what do your practices look like?
1: Yeah, so I, every day we have – we start practice out just with – defensive slides and closeouts. Um, closeouts are the hardest thing to guard in basketball. They're, they're difficult. They're a son of a buck. So we work on that every single day. We really work on our first step. If Can you guard your yard? Three feet to the right, three feet to the left. And that's something we stress with our kids. Then we'll get into a offensive breakdown series. Then we'll get into a transition series into possessions. And then we'll work to our defensive breakdown into a defensive transition and, to, and, and defensively, we work a ton on odd number defenses. Because huh? very rarely, other than made baskets, um, are you playing five-on-five half-court um, offense or half-court defense. And so we really work on playing five-on-four defensively. How are we scrambling? How are we rotating? Throw a fifth player in there as we get going and um, and, and then get back to the backbone of who we are and what we do um and, and then and then we'll work through we work on some sort of situation every single day whether it's um base we'll end practice with the baseline out of bounds two seconds left this is what we're running to where when we get to an end of game situation nothing new gets drawn up every kid knows that if there's seven seconds left and we got to go the length of the court this is exactly what we're running or if there's three seconds left side out, we need a two or we need a three, this is exactly what we're running. And so they're prepared for those moments in, the, in that regard. And then we'll end each practice with some sort of five on five situation type, type thing, just depending on where we're at in the season. And so we'll get O breakdown, D breakdown, uh, transition offense and defense, and then obviously full court five on five stuff, just about every single day. And then as the season gets going, we're obviously not practicing two hours, come February 17th or or whatever we'll condense it down we'll break it down and as the season goes on we get more skill work into what we're doing within um our team concepts as well and so just depends where we're at in a a season but we spend I would say and this might be backwards but I would say we spend 60 to 70 percent of what we do defensively transitioning to what we want to get to on offense and then uh we'll spend that other 30 40% on, on breaking down our, our offense and our motion offense and what we're trying to get out of there.
0: Um, one thing you've talked about is your uh, relationships with players and building those role identifications. So talk about how you have those tough conversations and ways you approach that and how you identify roles with your players.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's not easy. And any coach that's that's been through the ringer with it knows that. Um, That's probably the toughest part of coaching is getting kids to buy into something that they maybe don't want to buy into. And, And we preach on a daily basis, we don't necessarily just want to be physically tough, but we want to be mentally tough. And we use the quote every single day, are you willing to do what's best for the team, even when it's not what's best for yourself. And And you know with basketball, when you start getting towards the end of a varsity season, you got a seven, maybe eight-man rotation out of your entire high school program. That's a tough number to cut down to, but it's an important number to cut down to And getting kids to understand these are the types of shots that I should be taking within our offense, and these are the types of shots that we need to get within our offense. Anyone who's watched us the last few years that's seen Matt and Brandon, for example, they know that at any time – Uh, within our offense if if they had an open three they got the green light to shoot it whenever they want to but they've earned that green light and they've put hours upon hours into their craft to earn that green light whereas we got kids that are maybe really good football players but basketball is not their favorite sport or their number one sport that's fine go be out there bang rebound for us and do little things dive on the floor for loose balls that's going to bring something to our team that maybe someone else can't bring to us. And um, when, when you can build the relationship outside of basketball, it makes those in basketball conversations 10 times easier. And that's where I just think uh, I'm lucky I get to teach in the building that I coach because you, you get to joke around and see those kids on a daily basis and hold them accountable in class so you can hold that same standard outside of class and, and they're not seeing two different guys on the floor and off the floor type of thing.
0: Coach, I know you got to run here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I wrote a ton of notes down. Uh, I, there's a lot of questions I didn't get to. I think that's the difference when you, when I get, you know, I'm not a professional journalist. Interviewing isn't my, isn't my backbone, but it's someone that I, I've known and had these same type of conversations with when we are not being recorded through a video conferencing a website. So a lot of great stuff here. I think this is one that I think a lot of coaches should go back and re-listen to because there's no program. I don't think that runs better five-out motion in the state than Buffalo, and no coach who has done as good of a job. Uh, and, I, and I tweeted this out when you guys, beaty Dine. I think there's I know, no knocking anyone else. I think you're one of the best coaches in the state. And you've done just a phenomenal job, and there's no one else that, you know, no team, no team or program that I root for outside of Princeton than I do for Buffalo. So I just want to congratulate you guys on the success you have, and uh, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it, Brett. Thanks for having me, and look forward to keep following you along through this journey.
1: Thanks, Josh.